God designed us for life, an abundant life with Him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended, united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists. Well, what in the world is God doing? 2020's kind of gut-punched us, hasn't it? Um, from this global plague and shutdown and economic struggles and collapse to the videos that have surfaced of the murders of um, Maude Arbery and the story of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. To This has surfaced all sorts of racial tension. There's been protests and riots. And uh, we've never seen anything like this. I know I've never seen anything like this. And people who have been alive even a lot longer than I have have said they've never seen anything quite like this. And uh, it brings all sorts of questions um, to our minds um, about what is going on, what God is doing. And, and we might have expectation, we might have anxiety, but we have questions. We're not quite sure what we should think about this current moment. And, uh, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to pause and to uh, pause that the, the study we've been doing in the Gospel according to John and take a, take a week this week to talk about what in the world God is doing. Um, we're going to talk about this question, what in the world is God doing? And, and we're going to wrestle with these questions uh, about how we should respond uh, in the current moment. Um, should the church get involved in social justice issues? Should the church be involved in things that some see as more political than spiritual or theological um, and I can't think of a better place to, to talk about this from in, in the Bible than uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Um, we, uh, we studied Ephesians as a church uh, about a year and a half ago, um, but we, can, we could never squeeze all of the goodness out of this text. Ephesians was a, a book that the Apostle Paul wrote, a letter that he wrote to this church that he had planted uh, about three uh, more like five, maybe even seven years before. He'd spent three years in that city preaching the gospel like we do um, with our partner church, Trinity Church, renting out space. He'd rented out a lecture hall uh, and they were preaching the gospel there daily and he'd planted this church. And at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, in prison, he writes this letter to the church uh, in, a, in, in a way almost kind of summarizing the whole of his teaching um, throughout his life, many decades of teaching are, are are somewhat culminating in this in this letter to the Ephesians. And I love Ephesians because it's uh, it's really easy to understand the outline of Ephesians. There's uh, six chapters. Now those were added later, but the person who who divided them did a good job because the first three chapters are just 
truth and facts and in what, what theologians sometimes call indicative truth about what God has done in the gospel and what God has done on behalf of the church in Jesus Christ. There's only one command in all of Ephesians 2. It's actually the word remember. Uh, it's going to be in our text this morning. Um, and then the second half of, of Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6, they're all, it's all full of commands and imperatives. Um, it's what we do in light of what God has done, how we walk out this Christian faith um, that God has brought us into through his son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to find ourselves in Ephesians 2 right in the heart of the first half of the book where Paul is just just delighting and exploding in praise over what God has done in Jesus in chapter 1, verse 3 and following. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And he says there in verse 10 that God has a plan to reunite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And he talks about the power of God in raising Jesus from the dead and the, and the lordship and the dominion of Jesus on his throne in heaven far above all things. And that's how he ends chapter one, saying that Jesus uh, exercises his kingly authority for the church in the world. And, and that's where we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter two. And in this passage, what we're going to see is a really helpful and clear summary of what God is doing in the world. What in the world is God doing? Well, Ephesians 2 tells us God is at work bringing people to God and bringing people together. God is at work bringing people to God and bringing people together through the cross of Jesus Christ. This is why our, our mission as a church and our purpose is to help people find life like God intended by bringing people to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ and bringing people together in authentic community and deploying people in the joyful mission that God has for them in the world. That's our purpose as a church. And it's our purpose as a church in part because this is what we see God is doing in the world through Ephesians chapter 2. Um, this, this chapter breaks into two really uh, helpful halves. The first half, verses 1 through 10, is all about the vertical aspect of what God is doing in the world and how he's, he's saving people from their sin. And the second half is all about what the horizontal aspect, what he's doing between the people he has saved. Uh, and so we're going to see this play out, and both halves have three sections. They have a problem that's presented, the solution to that problem, and then the purpose of God in that solution. Um, so let, before we go any further, I just want to invite you to just pray with me uh, as we study God's word together. Father, I just pray you would open our hearts and our minds, open my mouth to speak the truth of what you're doing in the world and bringing people to God and bringing people together. I pray you would speak Holy Spirit even now, wherever the person who's listening to this may be, whether they're watching on their phone, on their computer, listening on, on a podcast, wherever, wherever they may be, however they're engaging this, that you would speak to them and work in them and through them. In Jesus' name, amen. So that what is God doing in the world? What in the world is God doing? First, God is bringing people to God in wholehearted worship, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. The first thing we see there, like I said, is the problem. The problem, and the problem is sin. Verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 2 say, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. 
We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. This is the problem for every person who has ever lived. The problem is they are dead in their sin. The problem isn't that they need advice. The problem isn't that they need education. The problem is that they are born spiritually dead. Sin leads to death. And, and what we see, whether someone is black or white or, or brown, whether they're old or young, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're conservative politically or, or liberal politically, whatever their situation may be, their problem is equal. Every person who has ever lived has been born totally equal with every other person in terms of their creation in the image of God and their subjection to sin and death. This is the problem. We don't need self-help. We don't need advice. We don't need memes. We don't need podcasts telling us how to live a little bit better or more effectively. What we need is a miracle. We need life. And we can't provide ourselves or anyone else with life any more than you can go to a funeral and tell the person in the casket something, hey, just get up. You can do it. I believe in you. Believe in yourself. No, it doesn't do any good. It wouldn't do any good for us to tell ourselves those things either because we need a solution that we can't provide for ourselves and no one else can provide for us. And this is that solution in verses four through six. The solution is resurrection. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. The only solution to our sin problem, which leads to our death problem, is a resurrection miracle that only God can do. God showed his power to save us in raising Jesus Christ from the dead. And it says here that in his love and his mercy, he wants to save us from our sin problem and our spiritual death. This is how it happens. Someone hears the message of Jesus, that, he, that Jesus Christ was God the Son, sent by God the Father, and he was conceived in the womb of a virgin named Mary and he was born and he lived a sinless life and he did miracles and he taught all sorts of things about the kingdom of God. And he eventually was betrayed and gave his life through a, a method of execution devised uh, in the ancient world called crucifixion where they would pin the, the criminal's hands and feet to a, a piece of wood and hang him there to die. And he hung there, not for his own sin, not for his own crimes, but because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And he died bearing the wrath of God and the sin of the, the wrath of God against the sin of his people. And, and he hung there and he died and then he was buried. But three days later, he rose from the dead. And when someone hears that message, maybe you're hearing it today for the first time or really understanding it for the first time. The Holy Spirit can do a miracle and he can come into someone's heart and let them hear that message in such a way that they believe that message and they say, you know what? I don't want to live my old way of life. I want to turn toward Jesus and be forgiven of my sin and receive eternal life. And that, that 
that work of the Holy Spirit in the, in the heart of a person is called spiritual regeneration or resurrection or giving someone new life. You know, our church exists out. People find life like God intended. And that life begins with spiritual resurrection. And here's the purpose. Look at there at verses 7 through 10. The purpose is God's kindness to us. So that verse 7, in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Pay attention to those important words whenever you see them in the Bible, those words, so that. Often those words indicate the purpose of what's being said. So here it's what it's saying is why God saved his people. What is God doing in the world? What in the world is God doing? He's saving people. He's bringing people to God in wholehearted worship so that he can spoil them righteous with his kindness and his love. God is bringing people to himself so that he can show them how good he is. This is what he wants to do in the lives of those he's bringing to himself. And we can only access this, we see, by grace, as a gift, by faith, by believing. This is not of ourselves. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. There's nothing we can do. We can only receive it. And when we're brought into life with Christ and united to him, we're given a new purpose and we're given a new power and we see here in verse 10 that we're given a, a set of good works that God has prepared for us in the season that we're in and in every season we'll enter into. Whether you have young kids at home or you're an empty nester, God has good works for you to lean into in that season. This is the vertical aspect of our reconciliation. What God is doing in the world is he's bringing people to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ so that people can find the purpose that God designed them for and the life that God intended them for. He's calling people from death to life to spiritual resurrection. Whenever someone is brought into life with God, brought back to God in wholehearted worship, they are immediately, legally, spiritually, and eternally adopted into God's family. And they become part of this network of brothers and sisters from all different times, backgrounds, and situations. Ethnic, different, eff, people are ethnically different, culturally different, socioeconomically different. They have different languages, different political preferences. God is saving this people to himself. And that's the horizontal aspect of what God is doing in the world. What is in the world is God doing? He's bringing people to God and he's bringing people together in authentic community. That's the second half of Ephesians 2 verses 11 through 22. The problem here. The problem is a sin problem that leads to a skin problem. Look there at verses 11 and 12. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. The problem is was that only one group of people had access to the covenant love of God. That was the people who had descended from Abram, Abraham, who God had called out of Ur and called to be the father of a great nation. And all of Abraham's children, all of Abraham's descendants 
according to their biological ethnic descent were were brought into that covenant. It was a it was a covenant defined by physical reality. The males of the covenant were circumcised and and that was an indication that they were part of the covenant people that 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 God had bestowed his love upon in the world. And every other group of people was excluded from that covenant love. The original skin problem was the the problem of being circumcised or uncircumcised. And 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 so we see here that there's this theological religious covenantal divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. And that God is is at work in the gospel to bridge that divide. You know, often it's said I've heard people say, well-meaning, and I understand what they're saying, that the problems with our world and in terms of race, especially in our nation, in our society, they're not a skin problem, but a sin problem. And that's, you know what, that's true, but it's also incomplete. Because our sin problem leads to a skin problem. And what, it, what, what sin does, what it did in the very beginning between Cain and Abel, is sin divides and it makes us hate and push away those who are different than us. And the more different someone is, the more likely we are to push them away. What sin has done in our society is left a stain in, in, in that for many years, sin led white people to think it was okay to enslave, to own, and to sell people who had a different skin tone than they did. What sin did is it made white people think it was okay to, to subjugate or, or, or to, to segregate those who were different than they were and had darker colored skin than they did. What sin has done is it has segregated society and even worse, it segregated the church. Now, some people say, well, what, you know, there's white church, you know, what we call a white church and then we call it a black church. What, what, why is that? You know, well, the reason that happened, for example is in the late 1700s, one of the first African-American denominations in the nation, the African Methodist Episcopal denomination, was started by a man named Richard Allen because he went to a white church and he went to pray and to worship and to praise and he wasn't allowed to be a full participant in the service. And he said, well, that's not right. And so he went out and his black brothers and he started a church where they could freely worship God like God desired them to do. And so the, the black church, as it's so-called, only exists because of the historical failure of those white churches so many years ago. And what that's led to in our culture, it's led to what Billy Graham said 60 years ago in Reader's Digest and then Martin Luther King Jr. picked up on, that 11 a.m., the traditional hour of worship, is the most segregated hour of the week. 11 a.m. on Sunday is the most segregated hour of the week. And what, what I think happens is, is that we're, we're, when we cluster into groups of people who are just like us, we, we begin to see this, there's this echo chamber effect where we're only our, our preconceptions and our, our, our own experiences sort of are reaffirmed and then reinforced so that we only see the world through our own eyes and through what we understand. We're separated from one another. But the solution God has made, we see there in verses 13 through 18. The solution to the division between Jews and Gentiles is reunion. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. 
In his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to, one, to God in one body through the cross, by which he put the hostility to death. He came and he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the, to the Father. This is, this is why the gospel is so amazing. It addresses the sin problem and the skin problem. The, it addresses the sin problem and the skin problem that f- flows from the sin problem. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 tell us how God has reconciled us to himself and forgiven our sin and made us alive together with Christ. And here in uh, the second half of chapter 2, we see how he's reuniting a people for himself. It says that Jesus is our peace and brings peace into the world. When he, and when he died on the cross, these people were formerly hostile to each other, who were separated from one another. He tore down the dividing wall of hostility. That may refer to the dividing wall in the temple that separated where the Gentiles were allowed to enter to, from where the, the Jews were allowed to enter. It may refer to the law or the covenant promises that God had given to Israel. But either way, there was something that was dividing Jews and Gentiles. And what Jesus has done in his body and the cross is torn those things down. When the curtain in the temple torn into, tore into, the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles crumbled to the ground. And now people are defined not by their ethnic identity, but by their spiritual identity in Christ. And what we see here is that union with Christ subjugates but does not eliminate our cultural ethnic identities. How do we know this? Well, because in Revelation 5, 9 and 7, 9, we see that the, con- the, the, the church that's congregated around the throne of God in heaven is a people from every tongue, tribe, family, and nation. So you're going to get to heaven and you're going to look around and you're not going to all be some generic shade of something. You're going to see and you're going to see that black brother that black African-American brother who you loved in ch- at your church, he's going to be there next to you worshiping Jesus. And you're going to see that brother or sister from Thailand or Southeast Asia or from, from South America or, 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 or the Caribbean worshiping Jesus. And you're going to see them as God made them to be in all of their diverse beauty, but united by something greater than their differences. And that is by King Jesus at the center. What God is doing is he's bringing people together, reuniting a new human family. Those words, so that, as we talked about, look at what he says there. He did this in verse 15, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two. And in verse 16, so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross. What this is saying to us is that a primary purpose of God in the gospel is not just to save individuals from their sin, but to reunite those individuals into a new multi-ethnic family. And what we see is that God doesn't save any only children. God doesn't save someone to be an only child in his household. He saves people in this diverse nexus of differences, of ethnicity and culture and language and and even time and political preference and all the differences we talk about. He saves us to be one in Christ in spite of our differences, which are now, now no longer 
places that divide us and things that divide us, but are seen as the beautiful fabric of the mosaic God is putting together in the gospel. And what happens in a healthy multi-ethnic church is that people from majority cultures, especially who are tempted to think that their way of viewing the world is normal, people from those cultures are able to begin to learn what it's like to be a minority culture wherever they may happen to be. So in our case, majority culture, white majority culture in the United States, when, when you're in a healthy multi-ethnic church, you begin to, to experience life because people you love and who are honest with you about their experiences tell you what it's like. And you think, huh, that's different than the way I experience the world. But I love you and I trust you. And so when a pundit on TV says something that contradicts what your brother in Christ has told you, you think, no, someone I love and trust has told me differently. And I believe him more than I believe you. When an African-American brother in, in our church told me, you know, in South Florida, not that long ago, he wasn't allowed to swim in the, in the he said how he, he, he would swim in the canals because he wasn't allowed to swim in the public pool. That wasn't that long ago. And when, when I have stories like that, that, that I begin to hear and, or hear how or experience how in the early life of our church, we had a group of people all wearing the same matching t-shirts going out into the community distributing information about our church. And one person was stopped and questioned by the police. And it was the person who happened to be African American. And I hear that story and I think, huh, that's different than the way I experience the world. And I see a video online of a, of a young man being shot in the street or a, a man with a, an officer's knee on his neck and both of those people who are suffering look like the person I know and I love, I begin to think, huh, I wonder if my experience of the world is not everyone's experience of the world. And I begin to enter into the pain and the suffering of those who are different than me. And what that doesn't do is it doesn't minimize my real suffering. It doesn't mean that my suffering isn't real suffering. But it was, what it does mean is that certain people and certain groups may suffer in ways that are different from and unique from the way that I suffer individually. Only the gospel can do this. Only the gospel can create the type of church where people who are so different from one another can come together. That's what God is doing at the end of time, and I think that's what he wants to do here in our time. To move us from the, the black and white reality to the full color reality of the kingdom of God. Churches that are full multi-ethnic portraits of the church that will gather around the throne in heaven. Pursuing this kind of church, is, it's hard to do. And, uh, and we don't do it perfectly, but we do recognize that what God is doing in bringing people to God is also bringing people together in authentic community. And true authentic community means that you're in relationship with people who are different than you are. And you love them and you enter in. What we have to do is we have to be able to get, uh, we have to get comfortable with discomfort. We have to be like a missionary who goes into a culture and, and, goes to a place where people speak a language that's different. They have customs and food and, and location, everything that's, that's different to them. And they enter in humbly in order to bring the gospel to bear. 
We have to have a missionary mindset because these are the churches that the world needs now and our, our, our nation and our society needs now more than ever. And there we see finally the purpose of God here in verses 19 through 22, a family. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. This is what God is doing. He is building a people full of his presence for his glory. The people of God, full of the presence of God for the glory of God. And he's calling us to join him in that mission. To help people find life like he intended by bringing people to God in wholehearted worship and bringing people together in authentic community through the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, The church I pastored previously was a majority black church in a majority black neighborhood, but it wasn't always that way. It had been an an all-white church in an all-white neighborhood. But the neighborhood changed, and as it should, the church changed as well. And uh, sort of early in that process, there was a a couple who came into that church, a black couple who were from Jamaica, had lived in London and then New York and then retired in South Florida. And uh, this man then ended up becoming a deacon in the church and became a, a dear brother and friend to me and told me this story one time of their, he and his wife, and, and they were outside and someone drove by in a large truck with a Confederate flag planted in the bed, waving behind it. And the, the, the folks in this truck, the, the guys in this truck yelled out the window, you N-words, get out of here. You N-words, get out of here. He, he told this story to a, a sister in the church, a white sister in the church. And that sister just took him and his wife, wrapped them in her arms and affirmed that she loved them. Because to her, they weren't N-words, but they were brother and sister. It kind of reminds me of the end of Remember the Titans. Remember um, how the, the, the star linebacker, the white linebacker, Gary Bertier, gets in a really bad car accident and is in the hospital. And the the black linebacker, Julius, who he's become friends with throughout the movie, tries to come to visit him. And the nurse says, sorry, only family allowed. And Bertier looks at the nurse and says, are you blind? Can't you see that's my brother? If that's true on a football field, how much more should it be true in the church? What is God doing in the world? He's bringing people to God and bringing people together. And that's the work we should be about as well. God designed us for life, an abundant life with him and with one another. But there's a problem. Someone has taken our life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're missing out on life like God intended because we go looking for life in all the wrong places. But there is a solution to this problem. Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it in abundance. That's why Cross United Church exists, to help people find life like God intended. We believe life like God intended happens when three things are united in our lives. When we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ, when we're brought together in authentic community, when we're deployed on the joyful mission that God has for us in the world, we experience fullness of life. Life like God intended 
united in wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission is why Cross United Church exists.